the third week in Advent, is when we traditionally light the joy candle. The joy is so big, it cannot even be contained to a purple candle. And so we light a pink candle instead. We are in week approximately a million and seven of pandemic. And I'm wondering, how are your joy levels? I'm not being facetious. I really want to check in. How are you? Psalm 126 is an ascent psalm. There are a number of these in the book of Psalms that scholars believe were originally used by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem or as a part of celebrations in Jerusalem. As one scholar writes, it is the voice of pilgrims to Jerusalem who have come to remember the restoration of Zion and seek the renewal of the people of the Lord. In this psalm, the very things that the pilgrims are remembering and rejoicing about from the past are the things that they're dreaming about and praying will come true in the future. It speaks of the Lord restoring the fortunes of Zion, which is a translation of a Hebrew idiom that means that there's been a radical change in God's favor from wrath to blessing. It's a massive change for the better in one's life or the life of a people that God has brought about. The psalmist is recounting this transformation because the community has once again found itself in a place where they are petitioning God, pleading with God, praying to God for this kind of change. At the core of this expression is a trust in God, that God has done life-alteringly amazing things and can do them again. The scenario sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Pilgrims on their way to celebrate restoration and seek renewal, remembering and rejoicing about things from the past while pleading with God for massive change in the future. Seems an adequate summary of this particular Advent season. So again, I ask, how are you? Are you on board with the joy candle, or are you wishing that maybe instead we would call it the candle of great frustration and sorrow? Well, I'm here to say that both of those candles can exist together. Theologian Henry Nouwen once wrote that joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. He continued, nothing happens automatically in the spiritual life. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. Nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. I imagine Mary knows a little something about death. 
Mary, a young woman, not of the religious elite, not of a class of people who is often noticed or cared about. I imagine this Mary has already in her young life seen and experienced much of what poverty and marginalization and oppression can do. These kinds of powers can lead to physical death and to a death of spirit. So I resist the notion that this Mary is meek or mild. God would not have sent an angel to this Mary if she hadn't already shown at least the beginnings of boldness and courage. What God is asking of her is no small feat. Oh, hey, could you just have a baby out of wedlock and raise him as the son of God? Friends, either of those things could have got her shunned for the community or killed. But God sends the angel anyway, and Mary says yes. Now, technically, in the passage just before the one we read in Luke, she says, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. But the real yes comes in the song she sings, the Magnificat, as we call it, that we just read. My soul magnifies the Lord, she says, for God has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Now she sings these words to her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with a child who will grow up to be John the Baptist, the one who will prepare the way of the Lord and be killed for it. In the song, Mary is announcing to herself and to Elizabeth and to all of us that she is all in with God's plan, God's ridiculous plan of becoming human and being born to a mother of no significance in name, wealth, or power because she believes God can and will change the world. Mary is no wallflower. She is no timid, submissive weight. She is strong, and she is brave, and she is a badass prophet. She is not messing around with the script the culture has given her. She's picking up direction from God, who gives her potent words of authority. She is celebrating God's restoration and announcing the renewal of the people of the Lord in breathtaking ways. God doesn't prop up the powerful. God brings down the mighty from their thrones and in turn lifts up the lowly. God doesn't cater to the rich and important. God sends them away empty while filling the hungry with good things. This is a rebellious God. And this God has found an audacious young woman to become a prophet to announce God's plans and to bear and raise God's son into the prophet he will become. And Mary, Mary can do all of this, all of these impossible things because she believes God can and will change the world and she believes and knows in her very being that God is with her. I think we could all use a little of Mary's spirit right about now. I wonder how many of you believe yourselves to be bold and courageous. A prophet? I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that not many of you raised your hands. And yet you have the capacity to be each of those things you. 
The angel of the Lord may not have appeared to you yet, but that doesn't mean God isn't calling you. Calling you to believe the good news that Jesus brings, that God is with us, that we are not alone. That we have the power within us to shape and to change the world for the better. And that we have the imperative to share the good news and the story of God's love with the world. Now, I, like all of you, am over this pandemic. I keep hearing people wondering and dreaming about when we can just go back to normal. But I'm not sure that's what I want either. It feels a little bit like the Israelites wandering around in the desert. At first, they're glad that they're out of Egypt and the brutal oppression that they suffered. But then they get hungry and they get thirsty and they start thinking that maybe Egypt was better. Yeah, it was terrible, but they knew it was terrible in a way they had figured out how to deal with. That's what I hear when people start talking about going back to normal. It's not that normal was perfect, but it was known and understood, and for many came with a lot more privilege. I don't really want to go back to that. Yes, I want my children back in school. Yes, I'd like to see all of you right here in church on a Sunday morning. Yes, I'd like to travel to see my family and my friends who are spread across the country. Yes, I'd like to hug people who are grieving. Yes, I would like to sing in and hear choirs singing just about any tune. There are things I want to hold on to from our past lives, but not all of it. I want to be like Mary and so fully believe that God is near and that God can and will change the world and that God is calling me to be a part of that, that my dreams start making sense, dreams of a world where things are different, a world where we don't have to have conversations about digital divides. And the focus of school is actually about education because there are other mechanisms in addition to schools that get children the food and physical and emotional support they need. A world where the marginalized don't have to remind those with privilege that their lives matter because their lives really do matter to everyone. A world where policies governing and protecting the people bring us together rather than divide us into factions. A world where everyone has access to the things they need to thrive. Things like nutritious food and health care and meaningful employment and safe housing and lead-free water. God dreams those kinds of dreams, folks, but bigger. In his new book, Love is the Way, Bishop Michael Curry, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, writes, Time and again in history, the positive, miraculous, even crazy energy of dreamers has saved us. In insane times, it's sanity that kills us, the sanity of complicity with the present nightmare. The only people who have ever changed the world or anything for the good have been those who have dared to dream of an alternate reality, another possibility than the one that confronts us day by day. He explains, dreams are love's visions. 
the boundless faith that the world can be remain, remade to look more like what God hoped for creation. God is actively inviting us to join in that dreaming. Mary's doing it. She knows that nothing is impossible with God, including not just bearing the child that will become the savior of the world, but raising him to be ready to do just that. Mary believes that the world can be remade to look more like what God hopes for. And I think you do too. You wouldn't be watching this today if you didn't have an inkling of this belief. So I go back to the question I started with, how are you? I mean that in peripheral and surface ways of life, and I'm also asking about the depth of your soul. I'm asking because I care about you. And I'm also asking because we need each other if we're going to dream big. We need each other to vision and articulate the world that God hopes for. And we need each other to partner together and with God to bring that kingdom here on earth. Let us be the people the psalmist describes. Those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. As we, modern-day pilgrims and followers of Christ, make this journey toward Christmas, the celebration of the moment that God became flesh and lived as one of us, may we join Mary in believing and boldly proclaiming the joy, the joy that we have in belonging to God and that nothing, not even death, can take that from us. That's what the pink candle is all about. And our job, you and I, is to keep it lit. To make sure that we remind ourselves and everyone we know 